Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I want to begin here because I want us um, to see Jesus as uh, the one who has delegated the Holy Spirit and his interaction in our life. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything that was made, anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the word of God, became flesh, came to the earth as a man legally, entered into physical body legally. He wasn't pretending to be a man. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, uh, masquerading as a man. He legally was born into the earth, and that is why the genealogies are listed in the Bible. So there is a a legal, spiritually legal document showing Jesus' birth into the earth. Jesus, the Word, became flesh, and when he was born, from the moment he was conceived in his mother's womb, the light and the life of God was in him. From the beginning of his conception, he was alive unto God. It says, in him was life. So Jesus, walking on the earth as a boy, was alive to God. At 12 years old, he was in the synagogue, in the teachings of the rabbis of his day, and he was, he was expounding on scriptures because he was spiritually alive, he could understand scriptures that natural man without the help and revelation of the Holy Spirit could understand. Jesus had a a clarity of the word because he was alive unto God. When the Holy Spirit came on him, he was anointed. Before that time, there's no record of a miracle. As a matter of fact, the Bible records the first miracle. It says the turning of water into wine was the beginning. That was the very first miracle that ever occurred in Jesus' ministry. And so let's look at this baptism that took place. And I'll begin in Matthew 3. Matthew 3. Jesus... In his life and in his ministry becomes our example. In Matthew 3, verse 16, Jesus, 
when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. Now, before your mind moves over into Hollywood mode and you think the clouds parted and the sun came out, that's not what it said. It didn't say the sun came out from behind the clouds where they were hiding. It didn't say that. It said the heavens were opened. The heavens were opened. The heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, not a dove descending. A bird did not fly down and land on Jesus. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, descended upon Jesus in a bodily shape, gentle like a dove, soft. He didn't swoop down like an eagle. If it had said an eagle, we would have seen a whole different picture. We would have seen, whoa, you know, predator. But the, the dove doesn't swoop like the predator. It's a gentle. So it, this is describing how the Holy Spirit moves gently, softly, very, very uh, uh, respectfully. So the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, descended and lighted upon Jesus. Was the, word, was the life of God already in Jesus? Yes. So he was already spiritually alive. We know the Holy Spirit is the life giver, the Spirit of God. So the, the life of God was already in him. But now the Holy Spirit comes upon him. Also, we will look at uh, in Mark 1. And, and I want you to see each of the different references in the Gospels of the same event because each brings out maybe just a little bit of a, a different uh, aspect. Mark 1 and verse 10. Mark 1, 10. Straight away, coming up out of the water... He saw the heavens opened. My center column reference uses the word rent, like you would tear something. It says he saw the heavens opened and the spirit, like a dove, the spirit descending upon Jesus. And there came a voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He saw the spirit descending upon Jesus. Also, we'll look at um, Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. We saw Matthew. We saw Mark. Let's look at Luke's example here in verse 21 and 22. Luke 3, 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape. The Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove. The Holy Ghost descended upon him, upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So the Holy Spirit descended Upon him. In each one of these, the word upon is specific. 
And because we know that the life of God was already in him, we recognize that he was spiritually alive and now God has chosen and seen fit to place the Holy Spirit upon him. And it is after this Holy Spirit coming upon him moment that we see miracles and signs and wonders. He was 100% the Son of God before he ever did a miracle. Making a, The miracles don't make him the Son of God. The signs don't make him the Son of God. He was born of God. That's what made him the Son of God. Without, he was in his 30s having never done a miracle, having never produced a healing, having never done a sign. None of those things caused him to be known as the Son of God. I mean, the angels were singing when he was still a baby in a manger. Simon, Simeon and Anna were there recognizing this is the Christ when he was still a baby wrapped in, 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 in a blanket. So the miracles aren't indicators of who he is, neither any more than the power of God manifesting in your life is evidence of your salvation. You don't have to be able to, to produce miracles to be considered a child of God. You're a child of God because of the blood that washed you. You're a child of God because you believed on Him. You believed in what He did on the cross for you. And so when we recognize that Jesus was already completely alive unto God, but the Holy Spirit came upon Him for the work of the ministry, for the... the activity to which God had assigned him for that season. And we'll see it in his first sermon, Luke 4. Luke 4, Jesus begins to preach in verse 18, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, he's preaching from the book of Isaiah, but he specifically went and chose this text from the book of Isaiah. Some scholars say, well, it was the, the specific reading that was on schedule to be read that day. Well, God knows how to bring Jesus at just the right time, at just the right time of the reading, to read and proclaim, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So why does the Spirit of the Lord come upon him? Why does he tell us the Spirit of the Lord came upon him? He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord or the year of God's abundant favor. And so the anointing was upon him to do that. And how did the anointing, he has anointed me, how did he anoint him? By the Holy Spirit coming upon him. So the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit comes upon Jeremy, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit comes upon Ron, the Son of God, comes upon Jim, the Son of God, comes upon Connie, the female son. 
Deborah, female son. Sons, male and female, we are sons of God. Amen? Sons is not a gender thing. Sons of God, male and female, we are born of God. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, he comes upon us to equip us for God's purpose in the same way he was equipping Jesus for the purpose that of, of preaching the gospel to the poor and healing the brokenhearted and the deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind and anointing to set at liberty. Hallelujah. So this is what Jesus declared. Acts 10, 38 is from a sermon that Peter was preaching in Cornelius's house. But we'll pull this one text out to correspond with what we just read from Luke 4. Because it gives us a greater clarity here. Acts 10 and verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. How God anointed Jesus. When did God anoint Jesus? When he was baptized and then the Holy Spirit came down, descended upon him, abode lighting upon him, and Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power, and as a result, he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. How was God with him? Through the anointing, through the Holy Spirit coming upon him, God was with him. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, God is with you. And God will work through you in the same way God will work through Jesus. He comes upon us by His Spirit. And with this empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we are empowered with the miracle worker. We are, we are, are working with the miracle worker. So this is what in Jesus own example to us we see take place now i want to back up to john and let's go back and review some of the things that jesus said about the holy spirit we're going to go to chapter 14 and i'll just tell you if i go over the same things that i've gone over the, my last few sessions here that's for our good because it will benefit us to recognize the uh, uh, reliance Jesus intends for us to have upon the help of the Holy Spirit. For us to realize how much we're supposed to acknowledge Him and depend on Him and interact with Him and get His input. Remember, He's a gentleman and He's not going to force you to listen to Him. He's not going to force you to acknowledge Him. He's not going to be like, hey, I'm right here. Ask me, come on. But he's ever present to help us. John chapter 14, 15 and 16, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples and he is, a, he is identifying specific things that are going to significantly change 
as he goes to the cross. With Jesus going to the cross, they are going to be, uh, be able as born again people to do things they couldn't do before the cross. So when we see Peter, James, and John before the cross, for instance, you should not identify with Peter walking on the water. You should identify with Jesus walking on the water. You look like him. You look more like Jesus in the, in the who you are now than, than Peter before the cross. You don't look today, you as a child of God, born again. Even if you haven't received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you still look different than Peter did. Because Peter wasn't even saved when he walked on the water. He was under the old covenant. He was keeping the old covenant. He, the New Testament Shedding of blood of Jesus Christ wasn't available. He couldn't receive from God in the same way you can receive from God. He could not have the, he didn't have the same benefit package that you have. He had the old package. And you've got the package with new and better promises. Amen? So you don't, you don't look like him. You look like Jesus in that picture. If you want to find, who do I look like in this picture? You're the one who didn't, who, you're the one who helped the one who was falling. You're, you weren't the one that was sinking. Too many Christians are singing songs about sinking. I was sinking. I was going down for the last time. And they're, they're identifying with Peter who was sinking when they don't look like Peter. They look like Jesus who was still on the, standing firm on the water. That's who you are built like. And so when we, we recognize that he is dealing with these specific things that are going to change, it would help us as New Testament believers to be able to look at these and recognize, I have that now. He was telling them they were about to have this. They were about to be under this, this shift. For instance, Jesus talked about their love walk. And he said, before now you've heard that you're supposed to love each other's as you love yourself, but I'm telling you, I want you to love people the way I've loved you. He just raised the bar. He raised the standard of the love walk for us to love in the same way he's loved us, especially he's talking about loving each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We couldn't do that before. It, because the love of God has now been shed abroad in our heart, we can do that. We can love people in the same way Jesus loved us, unconditionally. We can love with a, 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 a self-sacrificing love because we have the love of God as a fruit of the born-again spirit. Our born-again spirit carries the characteristic of self-sacrificing love, love that gives. And, and that's the kind of love that makes our marriages work. That's the kind of love that helps us raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's the kind of love that helps us as brothers and sisters in Christ prepare to live with each other forever. I'm going to be your neighbor in heaven for eternity. Amen. We're going to live together forever. And, and the love command is not going to be lifted after this age. 
Like, okay, now, now that we're done with that, that church age, we're just going to lift the... No, the love command is going to be in place, so we might as well get skilled at it. Yes. We might as well become proficient yes. in this love command and keeping it. So Jesus talked about that. He talked about the fact that beyond this moment, they were not going to be uh, praying the same way they used to pray. He said, before now, you've never asked anything in my name, but from this point on, I want you to ask in my name. You know, he said in John chapter 14, the works that I do, greater works are you going to do. You're going to do the works that I do and even more of them in quantity. And, and they, I'm sure, had the question, how are we going to do the works you have done? And Jesus said, you're going to ask it in my name and whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. So John and or Peter and John, they were there at the gate beautiful and they didn't know anything about the working of miracles. They didn't know anything about the gifts of the spirit, of gifts of healings. They didn't know about any of that, but they said, what I have, I give you. I have something. I have the name that is above every name. I have the name of Jesus. And so I am delegated, authorized in his name to tell you, rise up and walk. And the man arose, having never walked a day in his life. He jumped to his feet and he leaped and walked and praised God. And they said, this man is made whole by the name. It was the name of Jesus. Now, before that, the disciples had never asked anything in Jesus' name. But now they recognize. And I'll just say this. I'll just say this. I was speaking with uh, Annie Durant, who ministered with Brother Hagen for a number of years on, uh, uh, on the road with him in healing crusades. When she first went out into her home ministry and Brother Hagen had imparted healing into her hands by the instruction of the Lord, she said, the very first year I went out, the Lord instructed me not to use the healing anointing, but to get people healed by the name. And she said, I'm so glad that he did that. She said, for an entire year, I didn't minister the anointing. I just used the name. And she said, I got people healed. People were healed by the name. And she said, that established in me that I don't have to rely on the anointing. I'm still authorized with the name. It, it It was a foundation for her. Because Brother Hagen had taught, if you, you always have the right to use the name. You, that you may not always be effective with the anointing because sometimes people don't receive it. People don't know how to receive the anointing or the anointing will come into them and they'll, they'll uh, not, not grab a hold of that anointing. But, but she proved that out in her ministry, that in the name. Well, Jesus was teaching that here. He was dealing with that. That was a shift and it's something that they could not continue doing things the way they had done them in the new blood wash dispensation. In this, in this establishing of the new covenant, they were going to have to operate like new covenant believers. Well, you know, under the Old Testament, nobody could be filled in the way you are filled. And I, I say it that way for this reason. We, we see John the Baptist in his mother's womb when Mary walks in with Jesus in her womb. And, and here is Elizabeth with 
uh, John the Baptist in her womb. And, and when, when the salutation was made, the baby leapt in the Holy Spirit coming upon John at being the one who was to prepare the way. He wasn't filled the way you're filled because the blood had not been shed for John the Baptist. He died before the cross established the New Testament. And so Jesus said, the, the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Because we're in the kingdom, we're born again, the Spirit of God lives in us in a way that it did not live in, the Holy Spirit could not live in the Old Testament believer the way the Holy Spirit lives in you. But because of the blood of Jesus, which washes us, he abides in us. Because remember, he's, he has been with you, Jesus said, but he's going to be in you. So the Holy Spirit living in us. So these are things, let's, let's go ahead and uh, begin in John 14, and we'll read that, which I just referenced in 16 and 17. He said, I will pray the Father. And this word pray is an interesting word. It means I will call for, require, or demand of the Father. Now, he's not demanding of the Father something that is against the Father's will, but he's letting us know it's a legal petition. I will make the legal petition and, and legally appear before the Father and pray the Father, insist or, or require of the Father that he give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him. Why do you know him? How did they know him? Because he dwells with you and shall be in you. So the indwelling of the Spirit of God was something that the disciples who walked with Jesus did not experience until after his resurrection. They did not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them until the cross made that available for them. He said, he shall be in you. Notice what he says about the Spirit of God. He calls him another comforter. And we've talked about the word another means another just like me. And so much to the, so much to the point that he would say exactly what I would say. He would advise you exactly the way I would advise you. He will coach you and train you the exact way I would if I was there hands-on telling you where to put your hands, how to say the name, how to do this, how to do that, what decision to make, what, which car to buy, whatever. He would tell you what I would tell you if I was there myself. Because he's just like me. He's going to answer just like I would answer. He'll advise you and counsel you just like me. So he's, he uses this word another, and then he uses this word comforter. And I'm going to ask if you can give me the amplified, because this word is such a dynamic word in the original language that it takes this much to express to us what this word really means in the Greek language. The Amplified uses the word counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, 
strengthener, and standby. All of these words, along with the word comforter, to express what this word means in the original language. In the original language, it is the word paraclete, parakletos, and it is a two-part word, a compound word, and the first part, para, means side-by-side as a partner or a standby, side-by-side, and if you've ever had a classroom, maybe where your children or your grandchildren in school, they, their teacher has a para. They call it that now, a para. And that para comes in to help with special reading groups, comes in to help with special math groups. And, and so it comes alongside the teacher. She's not the teacher. He's not the teacher. But they come alongside to help and, and to uh, uh, work alongside. According to Rick Renner, who is a Greek scholar, he says that the word, the best way to describe this word would be coach, to be a coach because the coach can teach the players on the team everything they need to go know to go out and play the game. The coach can't play the game for them. He's not allowed on the field for them, but the coach can give them all the plays so that they can win, can teach them how to know their opponent so that they can win. The coach can, as long as they'll listen to their coach, as long as they'll do what the coach tells them to do, they will have that benefit. And that's one of the greatest words to describe the Holy Spirit is that he is there to help us win. He is there to help advise us and to counsel us and to intercede for us, to help us pray when we don't know what we ought to pray or how we ought to pray it. He is there to help us in supernatural ways that give us the benefit because you're already placed into victory. God says this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. If you've got faith in Christ, you've got victory. If you've got faith in what Jesus did on the cross with you, you're already victorious over sin. You're already victorious over the curse. You're already victorious over death, hell, and the grave because you are in Christ and that faith in Christ. So you are in the victory and the Holy Spirit helps you walk in the victory. He helps you live your daily life in the victory so that you can continue victorious living throughout every day. So Jesus said, I will make this legal petition to the Father and he will give you a counselor, a coach, a trainer who's just like me. He'll give you someone who will be with you always, just like me. He's a standby. He's always on call. You're never going to catch him too busy to help you. You're never going to catch him where he says, you know, you need to make an appointment and get with me. No, he's always available. He is on standby at any moment. And the more you access him, the more you take advantage of that standby, the more you take advantage of the wisdom that you know, he is the spirit of truth. He knows what's right. He knows the plan of God for you. He has searched out what God has chosen for your life. He knows how to get you into it. He knows how to get you out of debt. He knows how to get you into the right place at the right time for the right job with the right benefits and the right everything. For He knows all of those things. 
But then the responsibility then is I need to learn how to hear from him. I need to be so good at talking to him and acknowledging him and asking him, what do I do? And then when he, when he tries to respond to me, I know that it's him. That's going to take practice. Because if your life is all chaotic and if you've got all kinds of, of wrong information flooding into your mind, it's going to be hard for you to hear what he's saying. If there's, if there's that drama going on and, and always up in an uproar and he's speaking with peace, if I don't know what peace is, if I don't know how to recognize peace, it's going to be hard for me to respond to him. So that's why I've got to practice peace so that I can recognize peace in between the, the opportunity. Not everything that is an open door is a God open door. Not everything that has the best benefit package is God's doing. Because the enemy can set you up with a benefit package that takes you away from the plan of God. He can set you up with a raise or a bonus that takes you away from the plan of God. And so that's why we can't be moved by money. We can't be moved by the benefits. We can't be moved by the open door. Well, it must be God because look how, how this happened and it just fell into place. Not necessarily God. And a lot of people have been shipwrecked in their faith because they were moved by things that looked to their natural mind, to their natural eyes, and did not know how to identify peace in their heart. And they kept overriding, the, they kept overriding that red light they would feel in their heart. Well, I know, I just don't feel right here, but look how good this looks. And look at this benefit, and look at this, and look at this. The opportunity, the way it fell into place, the, the benefits, the, the money, none of those things are leadings. None of those things are designed to lead you appropriately. Peace, the Bible says you will be led forth with peace. You'll go out with joy, but you'll be led with peace. Peace is like an umpire who makes the call. We found that in Colossians last Sunday when I was teaching on this. It, the Holy Spirit that uses the peace of God, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard the heart and the mind we need to know that peace. We need to protect that peace. We need to engage the peace of God. And then the peace will act as an umpire. And an umpire calls it. Is it safe or is it not? And we need to know and recognize the peace of God so that he can lead us in that way. And, and you know, there's just no drive through way to get that. There's just no microwave fix for that. It's, just, it's going to take getting in his presence and learning how to quiet your mind. Learning how to get in the word, get in the worship, get in, into a place where your mind doesn't continually kick back in and move you back over into that worry, but that you're able to maintain that peace. Hallelujah. So Jesus says that the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth shall be in you. 
Let's look at the next thing that he says here in this conversation in the same chapter, verse 26. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, the comforter, again, there's that word, counselor, advocate, strengthener, standby, intercessor, the comforter, the coach, the trainer, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. So the Holy Spirit is sent by the Father in Jesus' name. Sent by the Father in Jesus' name. He will teach you all things. He will teach you all things. We need His teaching. There are things that cannot be learned correctly adequately, concisely, clearly without him because they are spiritual and he needs to teach us these spiritual things. We need what he's teaching. So that means we need to take our learning seriously. We are all in in the classroom of the spirit of God. We are all in the Holy Spirit's classroom. He is our teacher. And he will teach us all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I have said unto you. So he'll bring to our remembrance the things that he has spoken to us specifically, things that God has spoken to us through the word of God. So we need to learn his voice. We need to become familiar and skilled in the voice of the Spirit of God. I appreciate the testimony that uh, I heard from Kenneth E. Hagen. When he was healed, he had been in bed for over a year, like a year and a half. He had been bedfast, paralyzed from the waist down. He had been reading through his grandmother's Bible. They would prop this big Methodist Bible up on his lap and it would take him sometimes an hour to turn a page because he was so weak and is so limited in what his arms could do. Sometimes he was, he was just from the waist down and other times partially uh, paralyzed in, in his use of his arms. And so he was there reading through. He said, I decided to start in the New Testament because they told me I was not going to live past a certain age, so I thought I better get busy and I don't have time to read the Old Testament. I'm just going to start with the New. And so he started in Matthew. He goes through Matthew and he gets to Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus said, take no thought for your life. And he said, how, what do you mean? Take, how am I going to do that? My heart is stopping in my chest. I am losing, I I will have moments where my heart stops beating. And whenever that would happen, he would reach back and grab the bedpost of the bed that he was in. He had done that so many times that he had worn the varnish off the bedpost, trying to hold on to life. He said, how can you tell me to give no thought for my life when I die three or four times a day and have to wait and, and pray that my heart will start back? And the Lord dealt with him. He said, I shut my Bible at Matthew chapter 6. And he said, it was over a month before I picked it back up again. And he said, I, when I picked the Bible back up and, and said, I want to read the Bible again, I committed to God. I will not worry about my life. I will not worry about my life. 
And so whenever he had, he, he had had a near-death experience and he had gotten saved, and so he, from that moment on, he said, if I die, I know where I'm going. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm not going to go to hell anymore. So I know where I'm going. I'm not going to worry about my life. And he said his heart still stopped. And just out of reflex, he would try to reach back and grab those bedposts. And he would say, no, nope, no, nope, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to worry about it if I die. And so he, he learned peace first. Do you see how he had to deal with that worry? And deal with that fear of, of, uh, he had to deal with that before he could get over to Mark 11. And so he kept reading. He picked it back up, committed to God. He would not worry about his life and started reading again. And when he got over there to Mark, uh, God began to talk to him about Mark 11. And the Holy Spirit revealed to him because he was trying to get somebody to come and pray for him the prayer of faith. If they will come and lay hands on me and anoint me with oil. But he couldn't get anybody who believed in the anointing uh, and the prayer of faith. And so he, nobody would come, but the, uh, the Lord said, you can, this woman, the, it says that you can believe in your heart and, and you, you will have whatsoever you pray. And so it was through the help of the Holy Spirit that he saw how to believe God. And so he's there one day and he says to God, if you were standing here by my bed right this moment and you told me you're not believing me, I would tell you, sir, you are wrong. I'm believing you. And the Holy Spirit said, you're believing with all you know. And he took him back to Mark 11 and he said, oh, he got it. All of a sudden the light shone and the Holy Spirit revealed to him, I've got to believe that I receive before I feel it. While, the, while my chest, while my, my heart is still stopping in my chest, while I'm still paralyzed, while my blood is still, still got this blood disease, I've got to believe that I receive it when I pray, not when my body changes. And so he started saying, I believe I have it. I am the healed of the Lord. He started saying, thank you, Lord, for healing me of this blood disease. Thank you, Lord, for healing. And he came to a point in his faith where the Holy Spirit said to him, what is a healed man doing in bed at this time of the day? It's 10 o'clock in the morning. And he threw himself, he grabbed a hold of the bedpost at the end of the bed and threw his body off because it was still paralyzed. And when he did... He got all the feeling back. He said it hurt so bad, like a thousand pins and needles sticking in. He said it hurt so bad and felt so good. Well, he got up and he went to the breakfast table that morning. And, he was, and, and from that morning on, but he went to the breakfast table. And when he came back from breakfast, he was still very weak and very thin because he had been bedfast for so long and he came back from the breakfast table and he heard a, a voice say to him it is appointed unto man wants to die he said it was very dramatic and, and you hear brother Hagen tell it he lowers his voice like that it is appointed unto man wants to die and and he said I knew that was in the bible somewhere I knew that was scripture and he said God has healed me, but I'm going to die today. So he sat down in the chair and was ready to die. And his mother came in with lunch, brought him some lunch in, and he didn't eat it because he said, he healed me so I could die. I'm going to die today because it, so it, so, it was so dramatic 
the way I heard the voice say, it is appointed unto man once to die. A man's life is like a vapor. There was two verses stuck together. Man's life is like a vapor, and it is appointed unto man once to die. So he says, I'm hearing this voice dramatically say this to me, so God must be telling me I'm going to die today. And he sat there all day waiting to die, trying to figure out in his mind, why did God heal me just to take me? Mom came in with food he didn't eat because he's preparing to die. So he's sitting there all, eve- all afternoon and into the evening, and he said throughout the day it would just kind of just like a soft wind coming up from his heart that says, with long life I'll satisfy you. But it was so soft and so, so quiet that he, all he could think about was how dramatic the voice was. Man's life is like a vapor and it is appointed unto man once to die. It was so dramatic. It was so spectacular. Oh. But then this little soft voice, with long life I'll satisfy you. And he said about three times as he sat there through the day, that little voice, just, just insignificant, just calm, quiet, with long life I'll satisfy you. And he said out loud, is that in the Bible? Is that in the Bible? And it came to him, Psalm 91. He said, I I didn't even know it was in Psalm 91. But he said, there my Bible was on the floor the whole time. I've been going through this, waiting to die. He didn't pick up the Bible now, but now, now he hears in his heart the still small voice telling him, with long life I'll satisfy you, it's in Psalm 91. And so he said, I reached down and picked up my Bible. And I turned to Psalm 91, and sure enough, there was that scripture, with long life I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. And he said, that day I knew that the devil had come to me in a way that sounded like God with a scripture. And it was so dramatic that I almost chose it. I yielded to it, and I submitted to it because it was so dramatic. But when the Holy Spirit spoke to me, it was a still, small voice. It wasn't spectacular. It was was just like a thought that came up in my heart. Do you see why we need to know the difference between something that is spectacular, something that is dramatic? Look at this great thing they're offering me, but do I have peace? Look at this great deal they're trying to get me to take. And you can have it today, but you got to have it by midnight tonight if you want to get in on this investment. But do I have the peace of God? That still, small voice is is how God wants you to learn from him. Because the enemy can sound dramatic and he can quote scripture. He quoted scripture to Jesus. But he cannot duplicate the inner witness. Romans chapter 8, and we'll stop here. Romans chapter 8. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Sons of God are led, directed, guided 
by the Spirit of God. Sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. That's part of your inheritance. Someone who is outside of covenant with God doesn't have that guarantee that God will lead them. But you have a guarantee that if you follow him, he will lead you. And if God is leading you, he's not going to lead you into less than. He's not going to lead you into chaos. He's not going to lead you into a life that's fallen apart, tore up from the floor up. He's not going to lead you into despair, into hopelessness. When God leads you, he is a good shepherd. He leads you by by the still waters. He's going to lead you in in paths of righteousness. He's going to lead you into places of full supply and protection. Hallelujah. Sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. But we have to follow. He's not going to force our steps. We have to choose to follow him. We have to learn that he is sent and delegated by the Father by my Savior to help me live the life that God has planned for me, to help me enter into all that God has. But I can't enter in without his help. I can't get into that fullness if I violate what he tells me. So it says, verse 15, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bearing witness, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Look at that phrase, bears witness with bears witness with the most important thing you will ever know in your life that you're a child of God this is how God desires to emphasize it to you how he wants to communicate this is the most important thing you'll ever know that you're a child of God and how did God choose to communicate this most important thing by the Holy Spirit bearing witness Why did God choose this method? Because Satan can't duplicate it. And he can't manipulate it. They say that our voice, every person's voice, is unique. And you can use your voice as a, a, a key to unlock. If you have a, a system that is a voice, they can, they can do a pattern of your voice. Someone else can sound a lot like you and even mimic some of the ways that you would talk, but they can't sound exactly like you, especially in the spirit. Well, in the same way, the enemy may try to say something that God would say and twist it, of course, he may try to sound like God, but, but your spirit will automatically pick up and say, no, that's not God. That's not God. Especially as you are fellowshipping with God regularly. Why? Because the more time I spend with my shepherd, the more acquainted I am with his voice. God has chosen the inner witness as the way to communicate with his people. 
That's his preferred method of communication. He would rather you hear from him in that way than to place a demand on him, Lord, show me a sign. Lord, let there be three blue cars and two green trucks drive by my house and then I'll know it's you. Well, Satan can get some people driving some drunks to drive by your house, you know, and well, look at that. There was three blue and two green. That was God. No, not necessarily. God wants us to be led by his spirit and he wants us to make this important. Hallelujah. Because there are some things that he needs to take us into that eye hasn't seen, that ear hasn't heard. It hasn't entered into the natural thinking, the natural understanding of man, what God wants to do with us, what God wants to do for us, but for him to move us into it. There are, there are some things in my life that I could not, I, I would not have done except I knew God told me to do it. Pastor and I moving here from Tennessee, both of us had the best jobs we'd ever had. We had the most secure, stable, nice home we'd ever had. But God told us to move to Kansas. And we didn't know anybody in Kansas. We had a, a young relative. We wanted to come and be close to his son who was here. And, uh, but that was the only person we knew. We came here not knowing any. And I lived in a tent with my children in the KOA campground for the first week in the rain. It rained. We had to, whoo, it was a mess. Because I knew God told me to come. And pastor was, I had uh, my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law, they were also with us, so I wasn't just me and my children. There was uh, other family. But they, they had moved up here as well. But pastor had stayed behind so that he could continue working and get some extra income while I came ahead with the money that we had saved up to look for an apartment. And God made the way. And within that first couple of days, I didn't have to sleep in the tent the whole week. It was like two days. We were planning to stay in the tent. But I found an apartment that was ready for move in. And uh, so we, it was the supernatural. But I would not have even thought about coming to Kansas if God hadn't told me. And he told me right here. There wasn't any sign. There wasn't anything supernatural. When he told me to learn Spanish, it wasn't anything that came out here. It wasn't anything that somebody said, oh, you ought to do that. Right here, he told me, be bilingual. And he showed me the hands. But he said, be bilingual in your ministry. And I started taking Spanish classes, just learning and, 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 and went on TV and only had one sermon that I knew. And I had practiced it and practiced it to get to record that first sermon. But I knew God was telling me to do this. There are some things that I have done just because of the inward witness. Just because of the inward witness. Just because he showed me in my heart. And it did not make sense to our head at all. It didn't make sense in the natural. Why would we leave all that we have? Why would we take this decision and do all of these things? Because God had us in mind. Hallelujah. You know, I was so blessed two weeks ago or so when I, I asked for you to tell me what you knew that Jesus had spoken about the Holy Spirit. I was so thrilled. 
with your response. I was so thrilled that you knew what Jesus had said about the Holy Spirit. But out of all of the people who were responded, I would have to say most all of you, if not all of you, were people who had learned that in our Bible college. That came about as an inward witness. So a lot of the things that God wants to lead us to do, if we were just making kingdom decisions out of our head, we would never decide his choice. For us to know what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. The Bible talks about the Apostle Paul trying to get into Ephesus, trying to get into Asia. And he went in a certain way. He tried to go in a certain way. And it said the Holy Spirit forbade him. The Holy Spirit said no. And so he tried another way. And the Holy Spirit said no. And the Weiss translation, the Kenneth E. Weiss translation says, by a trial and error method. He knew I'm supposed to go in that direction, but the first step that he took was not the right step. So he backed off. And the second direction he was going to go was not the right direction, so he backed off. And then the Holy Spirit led him in a different way. He had that vision of of a man from Macedonia calling, and he went in that direction, which led him around to come into Ephesus and encounter a few chapters later those 12 men who had been baptized under John's baptism. And so he ministers to those people who had been baptized under John's baptism, preached Jesus to them. They receive Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he stays and is teaching them. When it opens up for him to take this group of people that he's teaching over to the school of Tyrannus, which according to theologians, historians, the school of Tyrannus was in such a central location in the area, it was available to him in the midday because the school would come and use it while it was cool in the morning and while it was cooler in the evening, and then they opened it up to the apostle Paul to use it during the day, and he would he preached there in that place for a number of years until it says, all of those who lived in Asia heard the word. He was, and then he called that, in his uh, book to the Ephesians, he called it a great and effectual door is open to me. It was such a great door that the Holy Spirit wrought special miracles there by the hands of Paul. That while he preached, there were garments, that handkerchiefs that he was wearing while he preached, and they would take those handkerchiefs to, uh, to other places and put them on people who were sick and they would get healed or people who were demon-possessed and they would be instantly set free. And it said God wrought special miracles there. That was connected with him being in that place that the Holy Spirit specifically led him to. That he wouldn't have got to if he went by what he, he thought the first time. He would not have ended up in that place that was such an effectual place, such a place where there was, you know if there is that confirmation with signs, because it says the Lord confirming the word they preached with signs following. That's what was happening to Paul. 
He had such a door to preach, such an open door to preach, such an effectual place where people were receiving, and there was a, an open flow of revelation that the Lord was able to, to work special miracles in that place. And that's why our ability to receive affects what revelation comes out from behind the pulpit and what God's able to do in our midst. Do you remember when Pat Harrison was here a couple of years ago? We showed the clip of her under the unction of the Holy Spirit talking about what great things are going to take place here, how God has chosen this place and God has chosen this people and he's preparing us because we'll pray in the Spirit, because we have a hunger for the moving of God in our, in our lives. Hallelujah. If we will become so skilled in the inner witness, so skilled in the inner witness, Hallelujah. He'll be able to move us right into the places he needs for us to move. And we won't have to wait three weeks for him to prove it that it's really him. Lord, if it's really you, we'll know. I've got the peace of God. Pastor Nancy Dufresne, she had been um, praying about a specific area. And she said she got peace about it. But she said, I'm going to pray in the Holy Spirit for the next two weeks. And she said, I sensed that, she said, I, I went to the Lord and said, Lord, I know you spoke this to me, and I know you've given me peace. I had peace that came up, in, but I'm going to pray. And the Holy Spirit said, the, the peace, I'm going to pray for, for that confirmation. He said, the peace was the confirmation. For you to do anything else, you're going to confuse yourself. The peace was the confirmation. You, you don't need anything more. That's why we need to recognize if I have the inward witness of the Spirit of God, I don't need proof. I don't need evidence. I don't need signs. I don't need God to make this happen. I don't need God to make that happen. I have the peace. That's the inward witness. If I have the witness, I have the confirmation. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Jesus emphasized the Holy Spirit being the one who should be guiding us. So we need to emphasize that. We need to emphasize our reliance upon him. And we need to ask him, what do you think about this? And wait for him to answer. Expect him to answer. Lord, what do you want me to do about this? And if I don't have peace, I'm just not going to do anything. You're not forced to do anything. You're not under the pressure to make a decision that you don't have peace about. Pastor Caldwell said to Pastor Steele one day, he said, talking about flying, because the, the, when, when you're flying, you definitely want to know the peace of God. He said, Philip, you never have to be anywhere. Because a lot of times the, the other things that try to pressure you, oh, well, I'm just going to believe God. You can't believe God and violate peace. Father, thank you for the peace of God, for the help of the Holy Spirit. Father, for the witness, the inward witness 
Lord, we choose today to emphasize what you emphasize, to give precedence to the things that you have identified as important to us. And you said the Holy Spirit is to teach us, to guide us into all truth, to bring the things you've spoken to our remembrance. You said the Spirit of God will take what is yours and reveal it to us. All things that belong to the Father belong to you and the Holy Spirit will reveal those things to us. We want to be so good at communicating with you by your Spirit. We want to be so quick to respond to the inward witness. Lord, help us not lean on our, our thinking when you're leading us by your Spirit. Help us to know peace so that we can choose it. I thank you, Father, for the help that the Holy Spirit is to us. The Holy Spirit is to us everything Jesus said he would be. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you just worship the Lord? Just worship Him for His help. Just thank Him for being your ever-present help in time of trouble. Aaron, can I pray for you? Jim, come on up. Hallelujah, he is your strengthener. And it's not just a one time. He's about to infuse you with a fresh strength. And as he does, there's going to become an accuracy come into your life. An accuracy. An accuracy in decisions. An accuracy in direction. 
a clarity. The Lord said about this year, a year of beautiful clarity. You're going to know clarity in a way you've never known it before. Hallelujah. Pastor Jim, just put your hand right there on his chest. In the name of Jesus. I'm going to give you a key. Don't entertain any question about what I could have done different. Don't entertain that. There's no answer in that. That's not a question that's coming from God. No what ifs. Why? Did I send her whatever? Don't even entertain those. Here's, the, here's your focus. I'm going to live so on target. I'm going to live so on target. That clarity. But just shut the door to those questions. Just shut the door to them. And don't let them even have mental real estate. what's going to honor her is how you run the race. Run it with joy and run it with clarity. Hallelujah. And I'll just tell you this. For over a year after Dr. Dufresne's plane went down, Pastor Nancy preached on being led by the Spirit of God. She made that her emphasis because she said she emphasized this because that was what would help people never have to be where she was. Amen. That's going to give greater honor. Amen. You're free from that. You're free from those questions. Hallelujah. You're free from the weight of it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you've received strength today that you're going to you're going to know the fullness of it as you walk out the days ahead how much he's really helping you amen amen praise god praise god
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All worry. All worry. is contraband. It's illegal for your life. Don't carry it. Don't carry the care. Don't carry the anxiety. Don't carry the worry. Right now, I just want you to determine. See yourself pulling that worry Pull it out and cast the care of it on the Lord. Cast means you are taking the load of it, the weight of it, the heaviness of it, and you are heaving it over onto him. For you, it is a weight that you cannot carry. You are not designed to carry worry. You're not designed for it. He said, cast your care on me. Cast your care upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Casting all of your care upon him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Search your heart. And if you find any anxiety there, I need you to arrest it. I need you to take it captive and cast that upon the Lord. If you find worry... If you, are, if you have been stressed out about how you're going to make something happen, how you're going to fix something, take that under control and cast it upon the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We respond, Lord. We cast all of our care upon you. We trust in you with all of our heart. You will lead us. You will speak to us. You will show us things to come. You will guide us into all truth. You will teach us by your spirit. And we thank you for it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, stand with me to your feet today.